0: All right, so uh, we are continuing our study in this book of Daniel, which we are calling The Faithfulness of a Great Man and the Sovereignty of Our Great God. Uh, and today we come to Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. And this is Daniel's prayer of confession. Uh, and so uh, he's, he's praying uh, that, that God might hear his prayers uh, because the 70 years, as, as uh, Molly read to us, was just about up. And so uh, Daniel sees good things on the horizon, and and so he's going to pray to the Lord about that. Um, So a Sunday school teacher uh, was was talking to her Sunday school class. Uh, She had a full class, and she had uh, these students in the class, and she wanted to know from them uh, if they really understood uh, the severity of their sin uh, as related to the holiness of God. And so uh, she said to the class, "Imagine uh, that Jesus Christ were standing in one corner of the room and say, a convicted murderer was standing in the opposite corner of the room. And we draw a line from one end of the other, or one, one end to the other from Jesus to the convicted murderer. Now get up out of your chairs and, and go stand where you see yourself uh, on that line. Uh, do you see yourself closer to Jesus, or do you see yourself closer to the convicted murderer? Well, the kids get up and they start shuffling around and and making a decision about where they're going to go. And then one really smart kid says, you know, teacher, if it's based only on my conduct uh, and what I deserve because of my sin, well, then I have to go stand back in the corner uh, with the convicted murderer. But because I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and I have chosen uh, to follow him as my Lord and Savior, then I can come up here and stand here in the Jesus corner. And the Sunday school teacher was amazed, blown away at the wisdom of this young kid uh, who understood uh, the nature of his sin and the holiness of God and the solution of the gospel so well. You know, most people don't have such a keen understanding of the nature of their sin. Most people think, you know, I'm a pretty good person and, you know, God must be pleased with me and I deserve uh, good things and I deserve to go to heaven because, you know, I I generally am a a nice person. I I, I try and do good and, uh, you know, my good works outweigh my bad works. Uh, And so I get to go stand in the Jesus corner. Well... Daniel was not one of those people. Uh, Daniel did not see himself that way. Uh, What we see in Daniel chapter nine verses one to 23 is a man who who knows that he is a sinful man and and that his people are sinful people uh, and that because of that sin, they were separated from holy God. And what's interesting to me about this passage is that we we don't have anywhere in Daniel uh, that, that, that any particular sin is ascribed to Daniel. But that doesn't stop Daniel from confessing sin and confessing the sin of the nation. And so what he understood is that the problem isn't them, right? The problem isn't them, uh, those other wicked people, those people who do evil and, and never do good. The problem is us, collectively the problem is us. It's our sin that separates us from God. Uh, and, and our world is a mess right now, right? I mean, we, we can look around, you don't need me to, to you know, read the headlines to you. Uh, you know that the world is a mess right now. And, and the solution to the problem is not to, to pass the buck, right, it's not to shift blame, uh, it's not to rationalize our sin, it's not to make excuses for our sin. The solution to our sin problem is for us to get down on our knees and plead with holy God for compassion and mercy and turn to him in repentance and say, Lord, I am sorry not only for my own sin, but for the sin of my people, for my nation, and pray that God would be compassionate and merciful. And that's what Daniel did in this long prayer. So we're going to start out, uh, before we actually get into the prayer, just looking at the setting of the prayer. Uh, This is verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely... 70 years. So we're, we're going to have another little jump in time here. Uh, so here's our chronology again. Now we are in chapter 9. Uh, this is the year 539. Last year, week we were in chapter 8, which was in 551 BC. Uh, That was during the reign of uh, Babylon, Belshazzar. Uh, So last week, Belshazzar and Babylon were still in power. Uh, This week, as we talk about chapter nine, now the Medo-Persians have conquered Babylon. And this is the first year of Darius, the king. Now, Mercifully, for all you who are paying attention to these timelines, this is the last major jump we're going to have in the book of Daniel. From here on out, uh, we're going to be from this time period from uh, 539 B.C. to 536 B.C., And just a note, this uh, Ahasuerus who is mentioned here, uh, you may recognize that name from the book of Esther. Uh, This is not the same Ahasuerus as the book of Esther. Uh, That's a different one. The book of Esther takes place about 60 years after uh, the book of Daniel. So this is a different Ahasuerus, as if Daniel were not confusing enough, uh, we need to have repeated names. Uh, So that's where where we are. Uh, So now at the end of uh, chapter five, In the handwriting on the wall chapter, remember, we met this Darius the Mede for the first time, right? He is the one who received the kingdom uh, after they conquered uh, Babylon. Uh, So we talked about him then, uh, and in the beginning of chapter 6 especially, we were trying to identify who this man Darius was. He's called uh, Darius the king. Well, how could he be the king if Cyrus was the king at the time, and Cyrus was the king of Persia at the time? So we said there were two likely possibilities. One, that uh, this this Darius and Cyrus were the same person. That's one possibility. Uh, And the second possibility that we mentioned was that Darius is the same person as a man named Guberu, who was actually the military commander who conquered uh, Babylon uh, working for Cyrus in the Persian army. So I said back then, when we were in chapter 6, that probably the second possibility is the one that's more likely, uh, that Guberu conquered uh, Babylon, and then when Cyrus came, uh, he named this Guberu as king over Babylon. Now, in those days, the Persian Empire was made up of 127 different provinces, and the head of each one of those provinces was called a king. So uh, he was actually king of the province of Babylon, even though Cyrus was the king over the whole empire. So what we see in uh, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, uh, in my opinion, is further evidence that Darius is the same person as Guberu, uh, because we see here that Darius was made king over the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, and to me, that means that Cyrus made him king over the king of Babylon, uh, over Babylon, whereas uh, when a conqueror comes and conquers a land he, he becomes king by virtue of his conquest uh, but here he's made king appointed king i think by cyrus and i think that is just a little further clarification on why i believe that that uh darius and cyrus are not the same person but darius is actually uh synonymous with a person called guberu who we've spoken about so just a little bit of background now in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is studying the scriptures, right? And, and he's reading the prophecies of Jeremiah, which predict that uh, Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, right? that was divided into two kingdoms, the 10 tribes of the north and the two tribes of the south, Judah and Benjamin. We're talking about Judah here. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied that Judah would be taken into captivity, uh, into Babylon for 70 years. So I just want to take a minute here just to pause and just consider the sovereignty and the providence of God uh, and the preservation of his word. I just find this this fascinating. Uh, So to do this, we're gonna have to spend a minute talking about Jeremiah's ministry because it's a fascinating ministry. Jeremiah was a close contemporary of Daniel. In fact, uh, Jeremiah began prophesying in 627 BC, which happened to be the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah. Uh, And that was before Babylon was even reigning as the world empire at the time. And Jeremiah exhorted uh, Israel to repent, repent, uh, judgment is coming if you don't repent and turn back to the Lord and they refused. And so Jeremiah continued to prophesy and in the year 605 specifically prophesied that uh, that Jerusalem would be carried away to exile uh, to the land of Babylon and that he would stay there, uh, that that, uh, Jerusalem would stay there for 70 years. And that's interesting because in that very same year, 605 BC, the prophecy came true, right? Uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar came uh, and and exiled the first wave of Israelites to Babylon in 605 BC. And uh, Daniel was a teenager at the time when he was exiled. Uh, He was among the first taken to Babylon. So Daniel now is in Babylon. Now, Jeremiah, he remains in Jerusalem uh, and he stays there through all three waves of the exiles. He doesn't leave. But um, he he continued to warn kings and the people to repent, repent, repent. And he said, when Babylon comes, don't resist. Go with them to exile, live your normal lives in uh, exile, just uh, adapt and assimilate. And unfortunately, Jerusalem refused. And that resulted in the destruction of the temple in 586 BC. Now, for Jeremiah himself he was forced uh, to go with a surviving remnant uh, exiled to Egypt in the other direction of Babylon, right? So, So now you got Jeremiah down in Egypt, you got Daniel in Babylon, far apart from each other, according to Jeremiah chapter 43 and 44. Now, according to tradition, Jeremiah was killed in Egypt, killed by his own people in Egypt. Now, most likely, Jeremiah took his scrolls that he had been writing with him to Egypt, right? So how is it that Jeremiah uh, has written his scrolls, he's written down his prophecies, how did Daniel in Babylon get his hands on Jeremiah's prophecies? Remember, this is 539 BC, right? This is not today where most of us have, you know, 10 physical Bibles in our house and we have the Bible on our phones, the Bible on our computers, everywhere we turn, we have a Bible, right? But not then, somehow in God's providence and sovereignty, he caused copies of Jeremiah's prophecy uh, to be made and and copied and then carried to Daniel some 1,650 miles away from Egypt to Babylon. And Daniel just happened to be reading uh, from the book of Jeremiah, right? At the time when the the 70 years uh, of exile were just about coming to an end. And I just find this stuff amazing. I just find God's sovereignty and God's providence amazing that God inspires his authors to write uh, exactly what he wants written. And then he also preserves the word uh, so that it can be read by others miles away. Now, if you know Jeremiah, uh, about Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah had his prophecies read to King Jehoiakim. And King Jehoiakim was no fan of what Jeremiah had written. So King Jehoiakim said, cut it all up and then throw it in the fire. So that's what happened to Jeremiah's prophecies. Well, God said, I'll tell you what I said. You write it down again, be faithful. And Jeremiah obeyed. And so uh, here's the word of God destroyed, then rewritten and preserved, uh, transported across 1,650 miles of sand and in the hands of Daniel, who by the illumination of the Holy Spirit Uh, is able to read these prophecies, understand that the 70 years is coming to an end, and know, because God gave this to him, that he ought to be praying this prayer. Is that a coincidence? I don't think that's a coincidence, right? I think God might have had something to do with that. So uh, I just, I find all that amazing. So what did Jeremiah's prophecy say? Why is Daniel reading these prophecies, and, and why is he moved to pray like he was? Well, Jeremiah prophesied on the eve of the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem. And this is what he wrote in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. So here's one prophecy, and then uh, Jeremiah repeats the prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 to 14. He says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where I have sent you into exile. So God's sovereignty is all over these verses, right? It's God who drives them into exile and it's God who is going to bring them back. And I find it very interesting uh, that these 70 years actually have a double fulfillment uh, historically. Uh, Daniel wrote about the complete desolations of Jerusalem. And so uh, here's a chart. If you look at the bottom timeline, the 70 years can be calculated as the time between the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple by the Babylonians in 586, and the rebuilding of the temple in 515 BC, which is 70 years. And it can also be calculated uh, by the length of their captivity in Babylon. Daniel was first carried away uh, to Babylon in 605 BC, and then the Israelites returned after Cyrus's decree in 536 BC, 70 years. Isn't that fascinating? Double fulfillment. Well, We might read this prophecy and say 70 years. Well, why 70 years? That's kind of a random number. What's what's so special about 70 years? Well, uh, some commentators think that the the punishment uh, corresponded to the exact number of times that Israel violated the commandment to uh, obey the Sabbath year regarding the land. This is found in Leviticus 25. So every Sabbath year, every seventh year, Uh, Israel was to not plant in the land and and allow the land time to rest. And so that's good for the land, it's good for the people of Israel because this is a test for them to trust God. Will he provide enough in the sixth year uh, to sustain them in the seventh year? And they had failed to observe that commandment for centuries, for 490 years actually, from the time of Saul all the way to the time of the exile which is 490 years, and if you divide that by seven, the number of of years is 70 years. That's the number of times that they failed to observe this commandment, and that is why God chose 70 years to be the length of exile. Isn't Isn't that just fascinating and amazing? Now imagine Daniel, he's reading Jeremiah's prophecy. Uh, he lived through his fulfillment, right? He was taken captive in 605. He spent his entire life nearly in Babylon. And from his perspective, the 70 years were about up. And so he's got the prophecies of Jeremiah in front of him. He knows what the date is on the calendar, and he makes this correspondence between what he's reading and the calendar, and he says, I need to pray. And this is what Jeremiah said would happen. He said, then you will come to me, then you will seek me, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you back to exile. And so Daniel reads this and he says, I need to get on my knees and I need to pray. And so that's exactly what Daniel did in verses three to 14. Uh, This is Daniel's prayer of confession. So I'm gonna read this all the way through and then we'll make some comments about it. Okay, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications and with fasting, sackcloth, ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is to this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have have committed against you." Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, "...along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us, and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth." Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which, which, deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. Well, that's something, right? That is some prayer of confession. Uh, and from this prayer, we can see that there is an immense chasm between God and us, right? I'm not talking about a physical chasm, I'm talking about a spiritual chasm, the very essence of who God is and who we are. God is holy, he's altogether other from what we are. God cannot sin and yet we on the other hand cannot stop sinning. So let's just talk about what we learn about God from this prayer and what we learn about ourselves. So let's talk about what we learn about God first. First, that he is a covenant-keeping God. We learn this in verse 4. That means when God makes a promise, we can absolutely take it to the bank. We can trust God to keep his promises. So God told Jeremiah exactly what was going to happen before it happened uh, as punishment for their idolatry. So Babylon would crush Israel, but after 70 years, uh, God would restore Israel and bring them back from exile. So uh, Daniel trusted God's covenant. He trusted God's promises. uh, And God has proven to be a covenant keeping God. The second thing we learn about God from this prayer is in verse seven, that God is righteous. Righteousness means that God uh, always does what is morally and ethically right. He can only do what is right. He cannot act contrary to his own character and nature. So Daniel was just acknowledging that God was absolutely right to punish uh, the people of Israel for what they had done, for their failure uh, to obey and keep uh, the covenant. And and, uh, God did exactly what he promised to do by punishing Israel and sending them into exile. A third thing we learn about God is that he is compassionate and forgiving. You know, these attributes of God are recorded throughout the scriptures. Uh, God uh, loves his people very much. God will never leave us or forsake us. God is constantly calling us back uh, to himself so that we will experience his blessing instead of exchanging it for the cheap thrills that the world has to offer. And Daniel knew that if Israel as a nation turned back to God, they would experience his blessings because God would be compassionate and merciful to forgive them. And another thing we learn about God from this prayer is that God is just from 11 to 14. God's justice means that he must act in accordance with his character. Uh, He had no choice but to punish Judah for its sin. If he tolerated sin, he would neither be holy, nor would he be righteous, nor would he be just. And so Daniel attributed no fault to God uh, for what they were experiencing, uh, his people experiencing in exile. It was 100% Judah's fault for their disobedience. So that's a lot that we learn about God. Now, what do we learn about ourselves? Uh, Throughout Daniel's prayer of confession, he said Judah sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, uh, rebelled, didn't listen to the prophets that uh, God sent, and disobeyed repeatedly. Now, this is the human condition, right? This is where we find ourselves. Ever since Adam and Eve ate from the uh, forbidden fruit, uh, we find ourselves uh, in this position where we have a sin nature. We are separated from God. Uh, and we not only have a sin nature, but we sin, right? We sin every day. Romans 1 says we're so wicked that we invent new ways of sinning all the time. Uh, that is how wicked we are. Uh, and we can see that in our present day, uh, can't we? So this is our character that, that Daniel expresses so, so truthfully and honestly uh, in his prayer of confession. No excuses, right? No rationalization, no excluding himself, passing the buck, blaming others. Just the plain truth that they, the people of Israel, had sinned against holy God. And Daniel knew that there is this huge gap between himself and his people and God. Uh, His prayer of confession simply acknowledges that fact. But Daniel also knows that God is just, and he's merciful, and he's righteous, and he's compassionate. And based on all of these attributes, Daniel has the confidence to pray to God for mercy and to fulfill the promises of the prophecies that he had given to Jeremiah. So let's move from the prayer of confession now to Daniel's prayer of of, uh, petition, verses 15 to 19. And now... O Lord, our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So the first thing Daniel does is acknowledges God's power uh, to fulfill this prophecy. He calls on the God who was able to lead Moses and the people out of Egypt, out of the hand of Pharaoh and into uh, the promised land. And so a God like that can certainly deliver this people Israel from exile. Uh, And so he's acknowledging again that God is righteous and just in judging unrighteous Israel. But Daniel implores God for God's sake to hear his prayer. Uh, Daniel is asking God to glorify himself by answering this prayer. God is the one who gets the glory. The people of Judah and the surrounding nations would know that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is powerful and that he's a covenant keeping God if if Daniel prayed this prayer and God answered it and brought the people back from exile. And lastly, Daniel acknowledges God's grace uh, in this prayer. Uh, Daniel wasn't asking based on anything having to do with his own merit or or his people's merit. Uh, He was asking on account of God's compassion. Um, And so the the subject of God's compassion, uh, the subject of God's grace has has filled many, many volumes. And and Daniel has stated it beautifully here in one sentence, hasn't he? Uh, We deserve nothing because we have sinned against holy God Uh, and, and we don't deserve anything, but the only just penalty for what we've done is death. But God, in his infinite compassion, he offers us grace instead. And this is the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? This is what the gospel says. Our sin against God is worthy of death and eternal punishment, but God offers us something else. Ephesians chapter 2, one of the great but-gods of the entire Bible says this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved and that not of yourself. It is a gift from God so that none may boast. Well, we have this amazing testimony. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. These are profound statements about the meaning of grace. We get what we don't deserve. Uh, So a friend of mine, preached a sermon a couple of years ago uh, talking about grace, and I just love what he said. Uh, He said grace is usually defined as undeserved merit, right? You've heard that phrase before, grace is undeserved merit. Well, he said grace is actually ill-deserved merit, ill-deserved merit. His point was that uh, undeserved merit presents too neutral of a view of us, right? Uh, Before we received Christ, we were not neutral toward God at all. We were hostile to God. We were enemies of God. So if you take your kid for ice cream, if you take your kid for ice cream, it's, it's not something that he deserves. You do it because you love him. That's unmerited favor. That's unmerited grace. But if this same kid lies to your face, disobeys you, uh, covers up his sin, uh, and then he gets caught, and then you take him for ice cream, well, that's ill-deserved merit, right? You're you're giving him grace even though he ill-deserves it. And so uh, undeserved merit just doesn't describe or ascribe enough wickedness to us. It doesn't express our hostility toward God whereas ill merit does. So undeserved merit, I think, is a little too weak, and I loved his point that it's ill-deserved merit that we receive. The only one with true merit is Jesus, right? And so that's why we pray in Jesus' name, right? When we pray in Jesus' name, this is not a tagline that we add onto the end of our prayers as though somehow, uh, you know, saying the magic word Jesus somehow obligates God to answer our prayers, right? That's, that's not what praying in Jesus' name is. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are acknowledging that we have no merit of our own. We deserve nothing from God, but we're asking not based on our own merit, but based on what Jesus has done for us. By his sacrificial death on the cross, uh, by his satisfaction of God's wrath, we're asking in his name. Uh, So he glorified God. He fulfilled God's plan of salvation. He purchased the souls of those who believe. And so based on Jesus's merit, not ours, uh, God will answer prayer. And Daniel ascribed this ill-deserved merit to himself and to the people of Judah. But he also prevailed on God's grace to answer his prayer anyway. And the amazing thing is that Daniel hadn't even started confessing the sins of his people before God had already dispatched the angel Gabriel to answer his prayer. So let's look at that, verses 20 to 23. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision." So, brothers and sisters, if we can have one takeaway from today's message, it's that God answers prayers. God answers prayers. The answer may be yes. It may be no. It may be, I've got something better in mind than what you're praying. It may be not yet, but later. But God always answers prayer. And here, God dispatches the angel Gabriel at the beginning of Daniel's prayer, before he even got to the point where he was confessing all of the sins of the people and magnifying God's virtues. And Gabriel said that Daniel was highly esteemed by God, and that's not because Daniel had any merit of his own, but because Daniel's heart's desire was to glorify and magnify God. Now, what follows in uh, Gabriel's uh, message to Daniel is uh, the vision of the 70 weeks, God's unfolding of his eternal plan for Daniel and for us. And we're gonna get to that next week, uh, but for now, we're gonna close with some applications about uh, Daniel's prayer. So the first thing I want us to see is that God invites us to pray. And we pray because God wants to have a relationship with us. And the means of that relationship is prayer. So during prayer, we talk to God. By reading his word, God talks to us. Uh, In Jeremiah's prophecy, he said at the end of 70 years, God would reverse their fortunes. They would call on God and he would listen and they would seek him when they searched uh, their whole hearts and found him. They would find him. And Daniel Daniel prayed because God said he would answer this prayer when the people turned to him. And so God puts this prayer on Daniel's heart uh, to to own and acknowledge and confess his own sin and the sin of his people, and he confessed it all without reservation. Now, we live in a world today where the government and the culture are largely hostile toward God, right? Right. And so it's easy for us to say, it's all their fault. It's all their fault. They're the reason the world is in the mess that it's in. Uh, the government, the political party in power, our, our, our liberal colleges and universities, Hollywood, uh, right? Overprivileged and, and entitled athletes and musicians, corporate America, Facebook, Google, Twitter, the list goes on and on, right? And, and you know, don't get me wrong, they, they share in the blame. They most certainly do. But what difference might it make if we as Christians acknowledged our own sin, our own part of the problem, uh, and we acknowledged the sin of our government and our country as well? Uh, Daniel said we have sinned. That was how Daniel approached God. What if we prayed for our leaders even though we may not personally like them or agree with them? And what if we begged God for grace and mercy? God always answers prayer. So if we humble ourselves and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he might forgive our sin and heal our land. God promised Israel that in Second Chronicles chapter seven. Why wouldn't he offer the same to us? So that's why we pray. He wants a relationship with us and he is a merciful God. But when we pray, let's remember to pray with humility. Daniel sought the Lord dressed in sackcloth and ashes while fasting. He confessed sin. He praised God. He reminded God that he is a covenant-keeping God. And only after confession of all this did did Daniel finally ask for something uh, before making his petition. And even then, his petition was not based on anything he did. He never said, God, I deserve this because I've been righteous and my people have not. He said, no, we've all sinned, but you, God, are a compassionate, merciful God. We don't deserve it, but you, God, are a God of grace. Now, because of our faith in Jesus who died for our sins, uh, we have access to God. Romans uh, chapter five says we have access by Jesus uh, to God. uh, And we, we can come to him anytime and pray to him. But the cost of our access to God was the blood of his son, Jesus. And so we have this access. It came at great cost to God. And so when we come to God, we have to remember that there's a right way to approach God and there's a wrong way to approach God. God is not some uh, cosmic vending machine or or a genie in a bottle that that is waiting up there to answer our three wishes, right? Uh, He's the holy God of the universe, the creator of it all, the Lord, our personal Lord and Savior. And so uh, he's holy and he he encourages us to come boldly, but not to come flippantly or disrespectfully. So like Daniel, uh, let's just remember who God is and who we are when we come and, and ask of the Lord. And last, remember that God answers prayer. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus promised uh, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you what is good to those who ask him? So our God loves us more than we can possibly imagine. Just let that sink in for a second. Our God loves us more than we can possibly imagine. So if you're going through a hard time, don't give up. Don't stop seeking the Lord in prayer. God may have his own reasons for why you're waiting. It may be not yet. It may be, I have something better for you. So trust him. Keep praying. Be patient. Know that God loves you. The Lord of the universe will always do what's right. And who knows, he may be dispatching one of his heavenly angels right now to come to your aid. Such is the grace of our God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you. We do thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God, Lord, and we do confess that, that we are unworthy and undeserving. Uh, yet, Lord, because of your son Jesus, because of his work on the cross, because he is worthy and he is deserving, Lord, uh, we can come to you in his name, and we can ask in his name, Lord, and, and we can have access to you because of his name and what he did on the cross, Lord. And so we thank you so much for, for Jesus and for our salvation through him, Lord. And I pray that we would come boldly to you asking uh, for our needs to be met, Lord. And we trust you that you are a covenant-keeping God and that you will do what is right. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.